This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 28, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Two years ago, the Supreme Court gave renewed life to the Second Amendment, affirming the individual right to keep and bear arms in the Heller decision. In March, a case picking up where Heller left off may revive the long-dormant Privileges or Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment. Ilya Shapiro, Senior Fellow in Constitutional Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. After the Civil War, uh, the Reconstruction Congress wanted to prevent uh, state tyranny. Uh, slavery was the obvious example of that, and that's what the 13th Amendment uh, eradicated. Uh, but there were still all sorts of oppressive laws uh, passed at the state level, which until the 14th Amendment, uh, the Constitution was silent about. That is, the federal judiciary or any other federal uh, law enforcement uh, official uh, couldn't do anything about so uh, the, uh, the framers of the 14th Amendment, uh, which of course has three clauses, due process, equal protection, and privileges or immunities, uh, tried to make sure that uh, people's liberties were preserved wherever they lived in this country and empowered uh, the judiciary, the federal judiciary, to strike down even state laws that violated uh, due process considerations, you know, if you didn't get a, a fair trial and, and things like this, uh, or equal protection if uh, uh, the laws uh, uh, applied to uh, native uh, Tennesseans differently than to uh, Kentuckians who happened to find themselves in Tennessee. Well, that, that, that wasn't any good in, in their judgment. And this most interesting point is the Privileges or Immunities Clause. We haven't heard that much about it because in 1873, in the slaughterhouse cases dealing with the regulation of slaughterhouses in Louisiana, the Supreme Court, which was still a conservative institution, didn't like this kind of uh, radical change that the uh, 14th Amendment framers wanted to implement, changing the relationship between the states and the federal government, uh, they eviscerated the Privileges or Immunities Clause. And so um, almost all of the fundamental protections for liberty that uh, the ratifiers of the, of the 14th Amendment understood uh, Privileges or Immunities to guarantee um, ended up for a while being delayed, and then in the in the 20s and 30s, the Supreme Court started to put that into what's called substantive due process, which is a bit of a misnomer. It's like talking about procedural substance. It's kind of, you know, I know it when I see it, and the, the, the justices over the years have kind of filled that empty vessel with whatever preferred policies and liberty interests they want to protect. Since the Privileges or Immunities Clause was essentially read out of the Constitution in the slaughterhouse cases. What has that opened the door to allow specifically? Well, because uh, the court had to use this this vehicle of substantive due process. Now, there is uh, uh, rightly some sort of substance to, to process, um, but what it became... Um, uh, especially after the infamous footnote four of Caroline Products, um, is, is, as I said, a, a vessel into which what, whatever jurist can read uh, their preferred uh, liberties into and their, uh, their maligned liberties out of. So uh, economic and property rights became second-class liberties, as, as it were, um, uh, uh, and, and things like freedom of speech and, and voting um, discrimination, anti-discrimination provisions, those got uh, first-class treatment under substantive due process, but uh, uh, the right to earn an honest living or the freedom of contract, these sorts of things, 
uh, were denigrated and, and still remain to this day. Another aspect of this uh, substantive due process expansion is that the way that the uh, protections of the Bill of Rights have been applied to the states has been through a process called incorporation, meaning that, say, the, uh, the First Amendment freedom of speech, uh, the court found uh, in 1921, I believe it was, uh, applied to the states. You can challenge a state law uh, for violating your free speech rights the same way you can uh, challenge an act of Congress. And over the years, almost all of the, uh, the first eight amendments that provide substantive guarantees, uh, enumerated substantive guarantees, um, of, of, of liberty were in this way incorporated. Now this case of course presents the Second Amendment because only a couple of years ago in the Heller case um, did the court even establish that there was an individual right to keep and bear arms. Um, uh, but uh, it, it turns out that the more accurate uh, historically and, and textually correct reading of uh, both the Second Amendment and, more importantly, the Privileges or Immunities Clause, is that the 14th Amendment, the Privileges or Immunities Clause, protects the right to keep and bear arms, and you can use that protection to challenge state laws that, uh, uh, that violate it. Um, but it's not because of the Second Amendment. It's because people had, at the time, uh, in 1868, during the ratification of the 14th Amendment, everyone understood that Privileges or Immunities meant a certain number of natural and unenumerated rights. Uh, that the, the verbiage changes, but it has nothing to do with the Second Amendment itself being codified in the Bill of Rights. And so if the court in this case were to overturn Slaughterhouse and uh, open the door to uh, privileges or immunities, uh, reestablish its proper place in our constitutional jurisprudence, you will see future litigation over the nature of these other unenumerated natural rights, such as the right to contract, such as the right to earn an honest living, um, and all of these other protections that uh, have been denigrated because they don't specifically appear in the Bill of Rights. You mentioned footnote four. What we're talking about here is essentially elevating a whole group of rights, economic rights, to... Uh, fundamental status. These are would become would become fundamental rights. Well, the whole idea of thinking of some rights as fundamental and others as not, which of course was one of the memes throughout the uh, Sotomayor hearings, is a misnomer and an anachronism. Uh, the framers of the Fourteenth Amendment would not have thought of this bifurcation in any event. They wouldn't have been quibbling about what's fundamental or not. It's more a matter of yeah, we have certain things that are enumerated in the Bill of Rights, but the Ninth Amendment says that that's not to deny or disparage other rights. And again, that's for the federal government. At the state level, the way that uh, our unenumerated rights are protected um, uh, is through the Privileges or Immunities Clause, or that's what it should be. Now, what are those unenumerated natural rights, privileges, or immunities? Um, I think it's what uh, privileges or immunities were understand to mean in 1868, those that are deeply rooted in our nation's history and traditions. Um, and I actually have a, a Law Review article coming out uh, in January called uh, opening Pandora's box, question mark, trying to uh, head off some of the uh, attempts by the progressives to read in positive rights into uh, that understanding of privileges or immunities. Ilya Shapiro edits the Cato Supreme Court Review. You can get your copy at cato.org.